0: Podcast, and I'm your host, Phil Cooper. The Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a Chicago-centric commercial real estate podcast utilizing finance and real estate professionals and attorneys to create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues, helpful descriptions of common legal and business issues, and entertaining discussion. This podcast is a mixture of real estate business and law. A few house cleaning items before we get to our featured guest today. Just want to let the listeners know that we're going to slow this podcast down a little bit and we're going to produce them once every two weeks. So we're going to do it on a biweekly basis. Look forward on Tuesdays of each week and we will uh, start moving forward on this biweekly basis going forward. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us by con- emailing us at solutioncenter at satc LTD, or by visiting our new website, realestatebreakfast.com please go visit the website, enjoy it. It's very sleek, we're very excited about it. This is also a good opportunity to mention and to thank our sponsor, SATC Solution Center L3C, which is the Education and Development Division of the law firm Shank Annis Tepper Campbell. I'm an attorney and principal with that firm. Today on our show, we have Colin Leitner, and Colin is the General Counsel of Dieter Investments, LLC, and I was wanted to have him on the podcast for three reasons. First of all, he was in town, so we had to grab him while he was in town, but he he works out of Austin, Texas, which the investment company is based out of, and he's become the general counsel at a very early age. Became general counsel of this company by the time he was 30, and I think the story of how he got this position is just a fantastic story. It's the closest thing I can think of to uh, the way Bud Fox got to meet Gordon Gecko that I've actually played seen play out in the real world. So I hope you enjoy that. When you hear old people talk about the definition of the word moxie, say that kid's got moxie, well, this kid has moxie. I also wanted to have him on the podcast because he and his company were recently sued because of one of their investments. Now, Colin is, as I mentioned, based out of Austin, Texas, and this is a Chicago-centric commercial real estate podcast, but Colin did go to law school here, which is how I met him, and he's a very good friend and a confidant of mine. And it was interesting because he was in town just visiting and one of his company's interests is uh, called Nook and it's on 6th Street in Austin, Texas. And it was sued just two days before we taped this on December 30th, 2016 by the Weston. And what's interesting about this case is it could happen really to a lot of different people in real estate because they were sued for private nuisance. And I certainly, when I started this podcast, did not think I would spend uh, my fourth episode talking about private nuisance action. But private nuisance is a civil lawsuit. So there's a difference between criminal lawsuits and civil lawsuits. So here this is about noise violations and the criminal statute would be if you call the police and you say, hey, there's someone being too loud that's criminal, but here's a civil case and where one party complains that the other party is causing unreasonable, unwarranted or unlawful use of one's property in a manner that substantially interferes the enjoyment or use of your property without an actual trespass or physical invasion. So if somebody had started a meth lab right next door to you, the odors and that were emanating on your property, could be considered a private nuisance but there's a defense to this case and that's if you come to the nuisance so if you build a house next to a garbage dump you can't com- later complain about the smell so what happened here and Con will get into uh, the weeds and the details of it but this little bar called the nook in austin 6th street which is like think bourbon street in New Orleans or downtown Nashville. It's a lot of live music. It's been there for years and the Weston built a hotel right next to it. And now the Weston is complaining that the nook is causing too much noise which is uh, deterring and annoying and hindering its guests which is uh, damaging the value of the Weston's property. So it's a very interesting dispute. There's been a lot of press over it in the Austin area I think that a lot of the local bars and restaurants are watching it very closely because they don't wanna be squeezed out of this area of downtown Austin, which has been um, such a, a vibrant and vital part of the community and the community's nightlife for so many years so that if the Weston lawsuit sets precedent that they can do this and um, cause the restaurants and bars to tone the music down, it's gonna have an impact on the entire Austin community. So we had to grab Colin while he was here and because he's willing to talk about that. And then finally, we had him on just to talk about, it. he's recently been pitching. He's part of a also a part owner in a commercial development company, which he'll talk about. And they've recently been trying to attract foreign dollars. And I thought that his story about trying to pitch Um, his project to foreign investments uh, was a very interesting and uh, unusual thing that's occurring so please sit back and enjoy our conversation with Colin Leitner thank you today with Colin Leitner. Colin is a principal at Leitner and Associates. It's a private firm, but he is also the general counsel of Dieter Investments, and Colin is a principal with Matisse Capital. Is that how you pronounce it?
1: It's Matisse Capital, but that's that's pretty good. It's Greek. Who knows
0: how you say it? (laughs) Right, right. Um, I'm very pleased to have Colin in the office today. Colin, as I just mentioned, is He's a real estate developer. He's a general counsel of an investing company, uh, and he's runs his own private shop. And he was also, you were the general manager of a Mazda dealership
1: for two years. Um, almost general manager. Executive manager is the title, and the, and the important distinction there is I don't know that much about cars. I, I really just handled the the business end.
0: Very interesting. Very interesting. And then. Um, so, Colin, that is quite a, a resume for somebody who's only in their, their mid-30s. We won't say the exact number. but <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Um, but I'd like to back up a little bit. I'd like to start with how you got here, and then we can talk about what you're working on today, just because I personally think it's an interesting story. You went to Cranbrook High School, which is... Um, we're going all the way back. Yeah, we're going all the way back. But <laughs> Cranbrook is notable because if anybody has never seen Cranbrook, it is in... Uh, the suburbs of Detroit, and it is a gorgeous school. It is nicer than 99% of universities, and it's worth Googling just to it look is, at It's,
1: it's gorgeous, it's, it's pretty pretty amazing. It was uh, an amazing place to, to grow up and get to explore. Um, I guess I'll just give the quick background on me. I grew up in southeastern Michigan. I had the privilege of going to Cranbrook Kingswood, which is a prep school there. Um, with the big beautiful campus and more importantly than that really really brilliant dedicated staff and faculty um, and uh, prepare me they did um, college was great of course but uh, it was kind of a breeze uh, once I got there and and, uh, and uh, enjoyable and went immediately on to, to law school here in Chicago at DePaul um, I would say your your most important part was that first day when you met when you met
0: me. Probably that was probably the, <laughs> the critical component to your success.
1: I wouldn't be here had that not happened. That is true. <laughs> that is very accurate. Um, so, you know, I kind of whizzed through uh, college and, and law school. There, I, I guess the, the highlights um, the highlights are that uh, I got degrees in economics and psychology at undergrad and then uh, after getting the JD at DePaul um, had an opportunity and and took it uh, to to go back and get a little bit of uh, graduate tax work uh, at DePaul's MBA school KELSTAT Um, and and that really helped me that's that's something that I really encourage people to do Um, it's not too late if you need to to learn something really anytime go figure it out Uh, that's good you're never too
0: late to learn more exactly And then, so right out of law school, tell us about what you first did, because it's very, it's different. I'm sure you use those skills, but it's different than what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, so right out of law school, um, uh, I was kept on on a litigation firm and and quickly moved over to a small tax boutique firm. Um, And in that firm, I did a lot of different things, but the vast majority was tax controversy work. Um, And for those of you not familiar with tax controversy, it's just Anything from audit to litigation in the various um, different jurisdictions and and venues that that can take place. Most tax controversy work never sees the light of day. Um, It's in audit and it gets closed down, maybe it goes to appeals, nobody ever really sees it. But uh, I got to do a lot of tax litigation in tax court, federal court. and. and courts of appeals around the country, um, and uh, as well as just a ton of a ton of audits and at uh, pretty interesting transactions—not your normal hobby loss issues, um, complex international transactions. Um, took me down to Brazil a couple times. Oh, that's um, right. All around uh, the continental United States for. Uh, I think I did about 80 IRS summons interviews, which are the, the IRS equivalent of, of depositions. Um, and so I got, a, I got a quick, a very quick learning experience there, kind of thrown into the fire and, and learned a ton.
0: Very nice. Is, I forgot you had gone to Brazil for that work. You know, I had a couple of cases out in King County recently. So oh, yeah. that's, that's pretty similar. <laughs> I, I hear
1: the foliage is beautiful this time of year.
0: <laughs> it is, well hey, I'm from <laughs> DeKalb, so I love it. But, so you're doing tax law and then in Chicago, but you went to Austin, Texas. And I would love it, I don't wanna put you on the spot, but I'd love you to tell the story of how you got to Austin, Texas, because it's the closest story I've ever heard of Bud Fox getting in touch with Gordon <laughs> Gecko. There must be a definition, picture you next to the definition of persistence of the dictionary, kid.
1: I I, I like that, um, that allegory. Let's hope that the end of that movie doesn't end up the same for me. <laughs> right, right. Um, um, yeah, so I was, I was working at this small tax boutique here in, in Chicago in The Loop. And uh, like I said, most of my work was tax controversy and, and uh, actually quite a bit of corporate finance work as well. And so we had, at this small firm, we probably had only about 100 clients in total. And about half of those were, I was kind of in charge of their files. I was, I was the top associate. Um, and billing a lot, but when you have corporate finance work and a lot of tax and tax controversy work, your clients tend to be, for the most part, older, richer, white men. There's no political comment there, that's just how it tends to happen. And uh, I had one client who was not that. He was was a a younger guy, he was pretty much my age. Um, and uh, we became we became friends uh, and I had a couple of my biggest professional wins at an, at an early uh, part of my career for him and uh, it's pretty powerful when you can call a client and and give them news the day before their birthday that's that significantly impacts their life and it has a bunch of zeros attached right. to it um, can't really get too much more into it than that but uh, I, I think I did very good work for him and, and probably got a little lucky along the way. Um, and I was looking to, to make a change, and I was looking at some of the more traditional options. Um, I had a lot of tax tax work, so I was looking at maybe going to one of the big four uh, and uh, consulting firms and doing tax, uh, or, a, or a bigger firm in town that, that needed that kind of uh, practice uh, built out and I just, there was something tugging at me. Uh, I've always been a little bit more entrepreneurial, um, and while I, I really enjoy the, the legal side of things, I, I just, I couldn't ignore that part of me. So.
0: Uh, right. I mean, I think when I first met you, you said you wanted to be a real estate developer. Which I, I was don't doubt it. The only person in law school, that was saying that. Sort I
1: of don't thing. doubt that at all. Everybody wanted to be in court or do transactions uh, or lock up bad guys or protect people who couldn't protect themselves. Those are pretty much the four categories, right? right, right. Um, I, I think I I was just focused on something that my family's um, done uh, on a small scale, um, and uh, I really like it. So I uh, I bought a ticket and I flew down uh, with really not much notice uh, to uh, my client. His name is uh, Misha Dieter. And uh, like I said, he, he was my age. Um, at the time, I think we were both in our 20s, or maybe maybe he was, had just turned 30. Yeah, sounds uh, about right. And uh, I flew down. Let him know I was coming, but there wasn't a whole lot of warning, and uh, I didn't tell him why I was coming. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, and I, I had a talk with him, and I said, you know, look, I'm between you and me, I'm I'm gonna make a change. I don't know when, uh, but I'm gonna make a change. And, you've got a lot, of, a lot of files with us for, for your small business, uh, and uh, I've got them all in, in good order, but you know, you're know you gonna need more than just one person to hand these off to um, if I leave, um, and uh, you need to be prepared for that, um, or you could just hire me right now.
0: Right, right. <laughs> and I love that story, because you're sitting here, you're a young attorney, um, still have law school loans, and you're looking for options, and you just made it happen. You just said, I'm going to buy a ticket to Austin. I'm going to email this guy and tell him I'm coming. He probably thinks I'm delivering some bad news about a tax case. And you just go down there, and you just pitch him and say, look, you're paying all of this
1: for my services at this firm. Why don't you just have me full time? Yeah. you know, I never thought about the fact of what, what he may have thought about me coming down right, with right. no that news, <laughs> horrible news coming. Um, it wasn't bad news, obviously. Uh, it was good news, and and uh, he didn't immediately give me the job. He made me wait about three hours. He said, right. <laughs> "I didn't know that." Um, he uh, he said, "Well, uh, you've given me a lot to think about. I need to discuss with my partner." And and I, you know, I thought I'd have to wait a couple weeks. And uh, he said, "Well, let's uh, either way, let's let's have dinner tonight." And so I went back to my hotel and. Kind of mulling over what I had done and, and uh, knowing that I was going to leave, you know, my my current position, regardless. But really hoping that this was going to turn into something and and be the door into the business side uh, instead of just firm life. Um, and uh, he called me a couple hours after and, and said, "Congratulations, you got the job. Let's go have a drink." Um, Awesome. And, uh, yeah, we, we went we went downtown, had some some lamb chops and, and a couple beers, and he showed me Austin, Texas. Fantastic. And now you guys own
0: your your company, Dieter Investments, that you work for, uh, owns several of the bars and we restaurants do have, on Sixth Street.
1: We do have a couple. Um, Sixth Street, for those of you who are not familiar with Austin, Texas, is uh, kind of the main uh, nightlife strip down there. And, and there's more than one now. Uh, But historically, East Sixth Street uh, is a um, where live music happens. Uh, It's the protected historic entertainment district, and uh, it's where you know all the greats have played. There's Um, Nashville,
0: there's Bourbon Street, New Orleans, and there's Sixth Street. Street.
1: Yeah. So we, uh, since I've I've come to work for uh, Dieter Investments and in their position as general counsel. you know, we've we've partnered with a couple operators and, and got a couple different uh, projects there that are going well, um, and uh, it's also they're also fun projects. They're they're pretty small for us, um, so there's a little bit of labor of love uh, aspect, uh, pride of ownership uh, type things going on. But they're they're both good investments and uh, and uh, we enjoy them. Um, we do have some kind of interesting news on one of them. One of them is called uh, the right. Nook. The Nook Amphitheater, and it's a small, as you can tell by the name, a little um, oxymoron there. Uh, It is built like a small amphitheater. It's an open-air venue uh, for live music right in the thick of of the district I've described, and um, it's only about 3,000 square feet. We're not talking anything fancy. Nothing down in this place is fancy. It's it's a, a lot of shotgun bars, lots of good live music. If you're looking for... You know, leather seats and cocktails don't go there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but if you're looking for some some great live music, uh, a really fun experience, and and something that you can't really get anywhere else, other than maybe those those other two places in America that you you named earlier, Phil. You know, uh, that's the place to go in Austin. And uh, so the Nook Amphitheater uh, has been there since March 2012, and. Um, we have a pretty good following, local following, and, and we even uh, fly in some acts uh, from time to time. And uh, we were recently sued, uh, so we are in litigation, so I have to be a little careful about yeah. what we discuss here. But we were recently sued by um, the Weston Hotel that was built 20 feet behind us um, and was erected in 2014 and 15 um, for private nuisance. Uh, for the music that really? we play. <laughs> private nuisance. So they're
0: saying that your your live music facility has too much live music, even though they built the Weston right next to it.
1: That's exactly correct. So um, without getting too far into the weeds about um, the cause of action of, of private nuisance, anybody can... Can kind of look that up, and if they feel like doing a deep dive, everyone's they, looking it up right, right now, now. They're <laughs> they're on their their iPads. Um, but uh, the the backstory here, and, and it's being reported all over the news uh, down there. If you, if you look it up, it's on our and we website. We should mention we're we're taping this
0: on December thirtieth. Collins in town in Chicago, but by the time this airs,
1: uh, there may be more developments. There will assuredly be more developments. Uh, the the news cycle here is fast. Uh, in the last 48 hours, I, I believe there have been at least 10 uh, TV stories on wow. this. Uh, been a, There's at least 12 articles online at the moment, and I know there's a couple more coming from uh, the Statesman, Austin American Statesman is the big paper down there, The Austin Chronicles, the other big paper down there locally. Um, I just responded to a, a, a call and an email from Spectrum, which is Time Warner Cable, for those of you who haven't gotten the change of, okay. of uh, billing there. Um, but the, uh, the stories range about who's, who's more sympathetic, but the, the basic premise here is, is big corporate interest moves into the live music capital of the world, into a protected historic music district, sure. and then tries to shut down the music music. Uh, I'm I am aware even though I have my biases that nothing's quite as simple as that um, but uh, it's becoming a pretty interesting uh, pretty interesting story and and we have a lot of support which we're, we're very thankful for um, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out um, I'm really hoping for a um, agreed resolution um, we've done a lot of work over the last year with the Weston um and their two previous attorneys, who, who were pretty good to work with, to try to find a mutually agreeable solution. And I, I thought we had found one. Um, and uh, we made a pretty, pretty cut and dry proposal to them. We, there's a, a speaker system that, that, the, that was developed in Europe. And Europeans always seem to be a little bit more ahead uh, than, than American businesses and, and technology on, on these issues, because they have more densely populated uh, more densely populated areas um, and older, more historic construction. Um, but the system, it's called a JBN system, and, and it essentially, without getting into all the sound technology, it allows for the full spectrum of high and low frequency sound, which is, you know, tweeters to subwoofers. Um, okay. And having that full feel uh while not projecting those low frequencies out toward other places, in this case, the west. And it, it plays top-down as opposed to left-right, or right-left, as the case may be. Okay. And, um, and uh, low-frequency sound is very difficult to control, and this system does a very good job of, of controlling it. So that um, we worked with, with them to demo the system, to bring it over and demo it in front of City Hall and uh, I personally let, let counsel for the Weston know that that demo was happening and suggested that he and his client go over there and, and take a look, um, which they did. Um, and uh, while I didn't get any direct feedback from them, I, I, the system works, it works well. Right. Uh, and it works so well that the uh, manufacturer, JBN, issued us a letter of guarantee saying wow. that um, the low frequency decibel levels uh, that guarantee a 10 decibel reduction. Now, um, I did not know this uh, until I've, I've learned a little bit about this recently, but um, six decibel reduction is a halving. Um, that's a 50% decrease okay. when it comes to sound. That's not, you know, th- th- that's a big, big difference. So a 10 decibel wow. difference yeah, is, right. is about a 70 or 80% um, difference. When, you know, you're talking, if. From 100 to to 20 or 30, if you're thinking about this in um, in uh, in just percentage terms, so there's almost no chance that this system won't work uh, for both us and the Weston. And uh, my proposal to the Weston is, you know, you're complaining about your property rights. We are well within the law. We are in a protected district, and we're not. If if we were breaking the law, you could you could lodge complaints, and uh, the city would do something about it, and they haven't. Right, right. Uh, So uh, why don't you spend seventy-five thousand dollars to install the system in our space, um, and uh, everybody's happy? Um, their their petition claims one million dollars worth of damages. Um, so
0: I mean, It sounds to me like they built a home next to the ocean or complaining about the moisture getting into
1: the building. Uh, you know, that, I, I agree with you, Phil. I'm sure Council for the Weston wouldn't. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the other issue here is, you know, we pre-build, the, uh, pre-engineering. They had sound engineers measuring sound behind our venue before construction started, you know, years ago. And uh, our, our owner saw them and said, come on in, stay later. It gets louder. We want you to build the spec. Right. Um, and there are other hotels. You know, Austin's been growing like leaps and bounds. There are other hotels that have gone up in the same district or other districts that play just as loud music, also within the legal limit. And uh, they they don't have the problems that the Westin has. Now, I don't know exactly what decisions were made by that developer um, that that they're apparently very much impacted by our our sound, uh, even though it's at that legal limit. But it it sounds to me like there may have been some decisions that they they wish they could have back.
0: Right, I mean, it it is interesting to bring this background to more of a real estate topic, uh, is that when you're developing something, you're building something, one of the things that you have to take into consideration is not just the parcel that you're buying, but what's going on around you, uh, what might impact your customers, your clients, your invitees, and how can you build what you want to build to Protect your customers, or to make it for a better experience for the people that you want on your parcel of property.
1: One hundred percent, and and that's kind of where I was going. I was I was kind of wrapping up my my spiel on on our controversy with the Weston. But um, point being, I'm I see both sides of this. I'm certainly biased toward our, our venue, um, though I do think we are on the, the side of right here, both regard to the law uh, as well as well as the court of public opinion. Um, and yeah. Austin culture. I'm, well, I'm sure, you know, it's,
0: it sets a lot of precedent if somebody can come in there, build a building, and then sue an existing venue. I'm sure everyone on 6th Street has great interest in what's going on
1: here. I won't get into it too much because we do have this controversy and some things developing, but uh, to say that there's been a lot of public support on our side is, is really a massive understatement, um, and there's, there's some groundswell of some, some business support here as well. Um, and, and again, by the time this airs, there, there will be a lot more news on this uh, if anyone cares to, to Google it. But uh, leading it more into the, the developer side, um, you're exactly right, Phil. Um, I have sympathy for the Westin. Uh, the decision that was almost undoubtedly made about you know what spec to build uh, their sound deadening to. Um, that's a desi- the type of decision that I face every day with my own development, and they aren't easy. Um, it's, not, uh, and it's not a binary decision, even though it feels like it, because each one impacts a whole chain of events and decisions down the line. Um, each, one, each little wrinkle uh, that you make uh, is kind of the butterfly that flaps its wings. Um, right. you, have, uh, you have just a cascading effect with regard to your proformas. Uh, your, your returns, the interest costs, um, your timetables, uh, all the deliverables that you have to get done. Um, and um, you know now subcontract- contractors and subcontractors aren't going to hold the number that they, they quoted you. Uh, their timetables have now gone out the window if you make a change late in the game. Um, and it's very difficult to stop that inertia. Um, uh, and so when you, especially on a big project, and I've certainly never developed anything even close to the size of of the West Ends Hotel. Um, You know, even on a project one-tenth that size, uh, there's a million decisions uh, to make and they all matter. Uh, So I I do have sympathy for them there. Um, I think they're very, very wrong uh, in their stance and I think they will lose and they are already losing quite badly uh, on on the court of public opinion. Um, which matters a lot in Austin, um, right. as anyone who's been following Uber and, and Lyft saga in Austin will know, um, yeah. it doesn't pay to be big, bad corporate interests coming into Austin, trying to right. push the little guys around. Well, thanks for sharing
0: that story with us and letting us know about what's going on on Sixth Street. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your real estate developments, because I'll tell you my perspective about Dieter Investments and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I envision Dieter Investments as an investment company and my impression is that it started more as trading stocks, derivatives, futures, and now you guys are really interested in investments that make money of all sorts, as long as it's something that you feel that you can learn and you guys take big swings and uh, that's sort of your big picture strategy how that's, am I
1: doing? that's correct. Uh, you know, none of what you said is is wrong, but I'll add a little color. Um, Dieter Investments is founded by by Misha, who I mentioned earlier, uh, my principal, and uh, he is um, a brilliant securities trader. There's no other words for right. it. Um, he could uh, have his pick of um, of hedge funds if someone uh, if he if he felt like taking money from other people, uh, <laughs> he he refuses. Um, so, uh, we, we really operate more like a family office. Um, all of the trading is in-house and and trading has always been and will always be Dieter Investments' primary business. Um, it will always dwarf all our other projects, um, combined. That's, that said, um... You're right, we do take big swings, and we like other businesses, and so we've got a couple bars and restaurants. We, we recently uh, were the general partner, and I'm, I'm not sure for the largest, I'm trying to remember, one of the largest shareholders in a, in a fairly big uh, nightlife concept down in South Beach um, called Aura. Just opened, okay. just opened for Art Basel earlier this month. Congratulations. Thank you very much, we're, we're very happy. Uh, to get it open, um, Miami Beach development is a development of a whole other kind.
0: Yeah, I'm um, sure that
1: wouldn't be its own
0: podcast. Just trying to talk about how to get an enterprise up and running on Miami Beach. It
1: is. It's always harder when you're trying to do something remote. Um, uh, so that was a challenge for us. But we had really good partners and, and really good, uh, really good management there to to get across the goal line. Though it was not without uh, not without its challenges, um, but. Um, Dieter Investments is has a bunch of other projects, and and our probably biggest non-trading project right now is is Metas Capital, which you mentioned at the at the outset. And Metis Capital is uh, the development in which I'm a partner, and, and I manage day-to-day operations of. And, and you know, for for int- all intents and purposes, Metis Capital is my development company, um, nice. backed by by Dieter Investments. So. Um, that's my baby, and, and that's what I really love to spend the majority of my time on.
0: Well, that's fantastic. It's interesting because a lot of people get into commercial real estate because they have connections right out of college, and they learn the business, and then they look for opportunities, and then they're looking for capital. You kind of came about it from a different perspective. You were working for a company that had capital, and you're just looking for opportunities, and uh, it's, it's a nice way to enter the market. Uh, but what did you find, what, so it's your development company, what, what was your first project?
1: So Metis Capital, uh, at least thus far, really only develops one type of product, um, uh, real estate product, and that's uh, commercial condominiums. Okay. Um, commercial condos are, are not that typical. Um, they, in the United States, you'll find the vast majority of them Um, on the west coast uh, particularly Southern California Um, and for those of you listening out there you may never even heard of a commercial condominium and but you know for legal purposes and development purposes they're very similar to a residential uh, condo Uh, you got to have your bylaws you got to have your condo regime documents um, you know like they teach you in law school Think of a condo like you own a box of air inside the four walls. Sure. Uh, and uh, that's that's the same thing, except instead of living there, uh, you operate a business out of it. Uh, it could be office space. Uh, ours is mostly office space. Um, but we, we do are in, in the flex area of real estate, um, so there's a little bit of a light industrial uh, element to some of it. Um, but, uh, you know, our, our users are, are typically... Um, We've got some contractors, um, you know, subcontractors, electrical engineers, a couple tech companies, uh, one software company, one hardware company, um, a company that is uh, developing, uh, doing R and D on, on drone batteries. So uh, you know, Interesting. trying to get longer flight. They got some big government contract, and they're trying to make fuel cells that'll last forever. So, um, so, Metis Capital's main main project right now is is uh in a place called sheldon cove uh and it's named sheldon cove corporate center and uh we've we delivered um 50, square feet of uh commercial condos in late uh 2015 and, and we're nine 90 percent sold and leased um Very nice. as of uh, about a month ago and uh hoping to Wrap that up, and we're about to break ground on our second building, which will be an additional 50,000 square feet. Um, and uh, we're working quite a bit, quite a few bigger deals as as we see more uh, more institutional money and foreign money get get interested in our project. So,
0: what is attractive to these tenants and to these investors about the commercial condominium and flex space in general?
1: So. Um, Flex space is, is uh, stands for flexible, um, and it, it essentially means it's it's somewhere between office and light industrial uh, uh, and warehouse space. So, if you can imagine a spectrum of real estate product, it it can fall anywhere between those two. So ours is very uh, office heavy flex space. It's a very nice building. Um, it's it's purposefully built. Uh, to a higher quality and a higher grade than, than most flex buildings would be. A lot more glass, a lot more natural light, um, and, uh, and the interior finish outs uh, mirror that. Um, a lot of space that feels more like the office we're sitting in now than it would ever feel like a light industrial space. But that business owner may have a small warehouse out there you know, may store materials for, for whatever business it, that he has out there. Sure, sure. Um, so so we have, um, so that's kind of the, the type of space uh, we have. And, and what people like about it, um, I think, is uh, the high quality. Um, I think they also, they also like the idea that they can own the space. We, we both rent them and, and uh, we lease them as, as well as sell them. Um, and any time you can, you can buy an asset, uh, especially when, when people have had a, a, a number of years of, of good business returns like we've had in this economy, that's an attractive thing for them uh, to stop paying rent. Uh, sure. And uh, so they, they certainly like to be able to buy them. And, and that's one of the reasons we did commercial condominiums is because there's really not any of that product You're right. in Austin it's very or really rare. anywhere. It's very
0: rare to come across, I think I've only come across a few. Uh, in my time. So you have commercial condos. I mean, in a residential setting, you're going to have the residents are going to elect a board and it's going to manage the property. Who's managing the property? If you have 10 commercial tenants, how does the management structure work?
1: Well, it it works uh, virtually identically. And and like a, a new residential building, the developer starts off uh, as the board is it as caddy as the board <laughs> so the far residential it's not condos in so, downtown chicago uh, so far it's not and i don't expect it will be um, thus far we've had uh, a really great group of of buyers and tenants um, and then as as the landlord for all of the tenants uh, we naturally hold a a big ownership percentage uh, in the condo association so okay. so um, we do have co-owners uh, obviously people buy um, but I, I really make a point um, early on in the process, in the sales process even, to, to note that we, we both sell and lease, and that for the life of this project, um, I'm probably going to be the biggest owner uh, by percentage in the condo association because we're going to be leasing. Right, uh, right. And so we, we make a point to let people know that and, and to become friends with the co-owners because it's really a, a, it's a community, part of the value. Uh, that we're selling is the community of businesses that join, um, and um, so far that's been a, a really great thing. Uh, I've noticed a couple businesses that have come into the park have started doing business together, and uh, they hadn't they hadn't met before. So um, one uh, MEP contractor that's mechanical, engineering, and plumbing uh, he does a lot of work for uh, the Samsung factories down there. He started doing some some work for uh, another con, a general contractor down there, who was in the same building. So, um, it's the the cattiness so far is certainly not uh, not uh, reared its ugly head, and I don't expect it to. I think it's a little different when people don't live there. People get a little protective, when they their living space. Whereas these are all businessmen and women, and uh, and they, uh, well, the cooler heads tend to pre- tend to prevail.
0: Sure, sure, and I'm sure that that is reassuring to them to meet you and to understand that the management structure is probably going to be in place for a good long time. And they're not going to be voting a new management team every year. I'm sure that that's comforting to know. But you're right. That is an interesting way to go about it because normally if you're a business and you want to buy your property, you're talking about a freestanding building and then you have to maintain the building and maintain the common areas. And now you're taking on a lot of other obligations. But if you wanted the uh, the financial Approach to own your unit but you didn't want and you just wanted to focus on your business and not have to focus on hiring landscapers and taking care of the parking lots and doing that sort of thing. It's a great uh, mix. It's a great hybrid.
1: It's a great option for a lot of people and then also, you know, there's there's a price point, um, um, an entry price point that is a lot more accessible than trying to go out, find a piece of land, develop it, or find an old building that you have to retrofit and redevelop it for your purpose. This is, you know, a customizable, uh, fully customized office or flex space for their business. Uh, they get exactly what they want, um, and uh, like like you said, they can focus on what's important. They still have that that investment and in ownership, um, and they don't have to be they don't have to be worried about what's happening uh, to the to the roof, to the four walls, to the elevator, to the landscaping, uh, and they, they certainly don't have to to worry about having nearly as much insurance, um, you know, all that's taken care of. And and you get preferred pricing and management when you buy in bulk as a condo association than if you try to do it as as a standalone guy with a a small business on a piece of land.
0: Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. Um, So what are you seeing from a macro perspective? Just upcoming challenges, seeing more foreign investment dollars come in i think you mentioned that earlier
1: yeah i did mention that and I, I i was referring to that um specifically with respect to our project but uh i've been seeing it um in other ways too i think um i think anyone who's been reading uh, financial news for the last several years has been pretty aware of china um yep. and uh opinions abound about what's going on there but um, there's some, some real obvious things that have happened there that I think um, everyone's watching. You know, they've had unprecedented growth uh, for quite a few years, uh, more new millionaires and billionaires there than anywhere else in the world as far as I know, um, and uh, you know, it, it really works well to, to pump up an economy when you've had just a huge, huge portion of the population um, that has been, you know, below the poverty line and suddenly uh, a little bit of capitalism comes in there and and now you have a brand new middle class and you can scale with three billion people, pretty much any business. Sure. So you've got all this, this, um, you know, this new wealth there and it's finding places to go and uh, the safest place uh, for all of uh, the slings and arrows that the American economy has suffered over the last uh, you know, ten years. the US dollar is still the store of value, it's still a safe haven currency, and uh, I don't see that changing. And so it's no surprise that as, as the, the growth starts to slow in China, and as the government starts to impose more capital controls, and as, uh, as people become a little worried about the fate of China, uh, those dollars come to the United States. So um,
0: so uh, how do you get in touch with those dollars and how do they get in touch with you?
1: <laughs> you want all my secrets, Phil, huh? I, I, mean, <laughs> no, really I, I, I joke, I joke. Um, you know, I, I went to a, uh, all I did was I went to a, uh, a summit, you know, anybody, uh, anybody could go, um, you know, the typical uh, buy a ticket you get a, a name badge and, uh, show up at a, at a hotel and, and, and network. It's not my favorite thing to do. Forced sure. networking is, is always more difficult than something, you know, having a conversation like this or, right. or, uh, meeting someone in earnest through your, through your business and, and developing that relationship. And then business tends to spring from there. But, you know, sometimes, uh, it is an effective way to meet a lot of people. Um, and, uh, so I, I went to, uh, the, the Texas-China Summit uh, that was put on uh, at the Hyatt, not the Westin, uh, <laughs> down there in Austin, Texas. And uh, a great facility there. Um, and, uh, you know, there were... They love live music. There. They, I, I hear they love live music at the Hyatt. <laughs> right. Um, but without digressing too much, um, you know, I, I presented I presented our project. And I, I know what... Um, because of my background uh, at Dieter investments and uh, my investment background corporate finance background, I, I have what I think is a good idea of what someone as a as a millionaire or uh, billionaire in China would be looking to do with at least a portion of their their cash. and our project works very well for it um, and uh, it, it is you know, protected uh in a number of different ways uh it cash flows um it's a great store of value People like cash flow people love usually. cash flow uh yeah. cap rates are at historic lows uh they're really paying through the through the nose for cash flow and i i see why i don't think it's a bad thing right now There's a lot of uncertainty um out there and uh to to limit to limit that uncertainty you know Put it in a in a less risky vehicle and and then maybe that uncertainty that, that comes along doesn't impact it quite as much so um you know getting their getting their money out of uh chinese yuan and, and into into dollars first uh, at least some of it is probably a good hedging mechanism and, and safety mechanism for them and then putting it in real estate and then secondary productive real estate in a uh in a state and in a, a local economy that's uh well diversified uh, and um, really a, a great local economy um, is makes a lot of sense. So uh, I presented uh, I presented our project in uh, in about two minutes to through a translator uh, to about twelve um, wealthy Chinese uh, investors and. Um, uh, something stuck so we we stayed in touch and we've had dinner and they've come seen our project and uh, I was texting with a few of them uh, over the holidays and they'll be back in town in January or February and they're they're bringing great other friends so we'll see if uh, if it works for them and you know my my pitch to them is, is pretty simple uh, it's you know be my partner um, you know help me develop faster than I can on my own um, I have capital to develop but you can always save more money um, if, you go, if you do build twice as much. Uh, the economies of scale and construction are, are very important. Um, and uh, with historic, historically low uh, interest rates, um, it, it makes sense to hold that rate for a little while and, and, and save some money on the development. Uh, so if they can let me go you know, twice as fast or three times as fast, there's, there's some extra returns there um, that, that uh, I'm trying to achieve sure sure i love
0: the vision of you doing this as see it as a little bit like a bake-off where you're getting up there you have these investors there sitting there waiting for pitches it's just 40 people in a line coming in 200 people 200 people, yeah, in two that people, line. 200 people. <laughs> must have been a long day for those investors but everyone's just standing up there you get two minutes get in there make your pitch Get out. Well, and, uh,
1: interestingly it's enough... It's like so show. It, it is. It is. <laughs> so, interestingly enough, you were supposed to have 15 minutes, but um, the uh, the pitches were... They didn't have the guy with the gong to kick people yeah, out, put need it a that big way.
0: cane that's sort of the hook on the end. It just You've got you to pull these people off the stage.
1: Well, I became the guy with the cane because I was... Uh, I had the uh, ignoble position of last in line, and... Uh, <laughs> The investors, closer. the investors had been there, eight hours, and had listened to 200 pitches, wow. many of which had gone long, and they were getting up out of their seats before I had had a chance to present, and uh, there was so you're a general. I was I wasn't happy. I had spent quite a bit of time <laughs> yeah. putting together what I thought was uh, a compelling, um, a compelling business plan that that. Uh, I mean, it wrote itself. I, I was already in the business, but, I, you know, I took a long time. I, this was my whole day. A few days beforehand, I, I went and I, I found a, a translator and worked with the translator and translated our, our presentation into, into Chinese. You know, I spent, I spent a good amount of time on this and at least wanted my, my time at the plate. Sure. I didn't mind if I went down swinging, but I wanted to swing. So um, the, the gentleman who was presenting before me, and I, I use that term loosely, Um, was not behaving himself either with regard to time or the volume of his voice. So I I politely uh, told him to kick rocks and that I was going to (laughs) take two more minutes of their time. And I did that, and and luckily um, they sat back down and became very engaged in what I I was saying to them through the translator. Uh, Also, uh, one of the investors spoke quite good English, uh, very good English. And um, she was very, very interested. And she's, she's the one who I've been corresponding with the most. Nice. Uh, and then I, I was able to, to, to have dinner with them later that evening. And, and a month later, uh, they came in, had lunch, and, and showed them the project. And so it, we've, been, we've been going from there. Um, so, you know, um, in case you haven't seen an, uh, a theme about me, um, you know, the story about how I got my job uh, working for Misha is kind of similar to, to that. You, you you follow the rules until you have to to make a change when the rules don't work for you, um, right? And, and you have to you have to take action. Yeah,
0: and uh, one of the best things about you is that you uh, you make a decision about what you think is right and you go for it. It seems to be working for you.
1: I try, I try. Uh, it doesn't doesn't mean I don't make mistakes, um, but uh, you know if you if you prepare. Um, and and you're diligent Um, I'm gonna say prepare again if that's the most important if you're prepared um, and you're go after what you want um, in in business or whether it's a small thing or a big thing um, that preparedness and that diligence um, and that persistence I I think that really will will pay off Um, it certainly has for me and I I, uh, try to rededicate myself to those things almost on a daily basis. They're not something that you can learn and then forget. Uh, they're one of those lessons that um, I try to try to relearn and focus on literally every day.
0: Uh, I think that was that's a lesson worth repeating because a lot of people think you see someone that you feel is very good on their feet. People have told me they think I'm good on my feet in court or whatever. That's because I've prepared and I know every aspect of the case and I've even practiced saying what I wanna say to the judge or to another person in a negotiation, because if you've prepared it, it comes off so much better. I mean, there's there's really no, no other way to say it, but preparation is uh, the most underutilized aspect in a negotiation. People just think they can go in and wing it and oh, I'll
1: feel my way around and you have to prepare. Absolutely, uh, sh- shooting from the hip, um, it's a good skill to have, but to rely on it. Uh, that will be to your detriment. Um, one other thing on that point that I wanted to mention um, is, uh, and it kind of kind of ties in with with um, my my career going from you know pure lawyer to to kind of lawyer slash business uh, person and developer is uh, if there's something that you can't do or something that you maybe can do and can do very well, but you don't have the time. Um, or it, it's, it's not blending with your project um, so that you can't prepare, or you can't prepare in the way you would want. Farm it out. Um, right. I, I say that because uh, for Metis Capital, I, I do a lot of work that is non, non-lawyerly work. Um, I also do a lot of work that is lawyerly work, but guess what I have? I have a real estate attorney. I am a real estate sure. attorney, but I have one too. And um, when a potential lease comes through the door and, uh, or a potential buyer comes through the door and, and they want a red line, their lawyers want a red line contract, sure, you can do that work, but if you can't get it done in 48 hours, find someone who can. Um, same thing with, with a foreclosure Sure, you can do it, but when's the last time you did it? Right. If you can't do that that quickly and easily and without to the detriment to the rest of your business, find someone who can uh, and focus on the things that you need to focus on. If it's part of your business plan to to do it yourself, make sure you allow yourself the time to do it and maybe farm out the marketing. Sure. But uh, don't try to do it all. Use that principle of comparative advantage
0: that we all Perfect. Learn the first year of economics in college well colin i think that that's a great place to end on i really appreciate your time I thanks really for having me uh happy to have you probably have you back and uh really appreciate your time and you explaining uh how you got to be where you are what you're working on and i'm um, looking forward to having some dinner with some friends tonight
1: it was a pleasure phil thank you thanks
2: shall constitute financial, investment, legal, or other professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests. You are urged to speak with your own financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center or Shank-Annis-Tepper Campbell or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the individual capacities of the host and guests. All opinions on this podcast are rendered based on specific facts and under certain conditions and subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to for use in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.